Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with actor Adam James. You'll know Adam from Vigil, Dr. Foster, Belgravia, Life, Johnny English, I May Destroy You, etc, etc. Aside from that amazing body of work, he's a bloody lovely geezer and we have a wonderful chat. Um, we're the same age, so there's that lovely point where a lot of our kind of reference points are, are quite similar. So, you know, we hit certain moments in music at certain ages, so that always makes for a really lovely chat. So you're in for a treat today. Um, before we get on with that, a few thank yous. Um, big thanks to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you at 76 for producing the podcast. Uh, big thanks to you lot for uh, week in, week out, listening to this podcast, sharing it, retweeting it telling your pals about it you know i get loads of lovely little messages from people saying that they're enjoying it you know i i'm the one that's lucky i get to sit down and and talk to these amazing creatives and and and, and get to indulge my big love which is chatting music and the fact that i then put that out there and and people you know listen and it would appear enjoy uh and and then reach out and say cheers and, and stuff it's lovely um it's absolutely wonderful so thanks everyone for listening um, when you get to the end of uh, today's chat with Adam, uh, if you like hearing me talking to, to actors, then, then go check out the back catalogue. Um, there's 320 episodes, and, and so many of them are with actors. Uh, you can hear me talking to uh, Maxine Peake, Amanda Abington, uh, Joe Hartley, uh, Michael Smiley, Thomas Turgus. Um, yeah, there's stacks. If you like your musicians, you can hear me talking to Foo Fighters, Fatboy Slim, Suede, Idols, uh, producers like Butch Fig, comedians, James Acaster, Ed Gamble, Jade Adams, Maisie Adam. Uh, yeah, there's stacks. Stacks and stacks and stacks of chats. So um, go and have a rummage in the archives. Um, yeah, and you can find out about everything you need to know about this podcast uh, at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. I know why you're here, so uh, let's get to it. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Adam James. Sorry, I've interrupted the podcast, but with good reason. Hotel Chocolat are our sponsors. You know that now because I tell you about it every episode. But they've been super kind now. And you may have heard me talking about the products from the cacao bar and there's gins, cream liqueurs, all sorts of wonderful chocolatey goodies. Um... 
And what they've done is they've set a page up on the website that you can go to, and all you've got to do is just for you off the beaten track listeners, go over there, answer a question, and you could win the full range delivered to your front door. I mean, that's kind of them. All you have to do is go to this place, hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. That's OTBT as in off the beaten track podcast. Hotelchocolat.com forward slash OTBT podcast. Go get your grubby little mitts on some deliciously chocolatey drinks, courtesy of our sponsors, Hotel Chocolat. I'll get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me stew with him. Right, we are recording. Adam, how are you doing? Pretty good, mate. Not too bad. I can't complain. Yeah, things are okay at the moment. Where are you? You at home? I've just got in. Uh, yeah, I'm at home. I'm at home in West London at the moment. Yeah. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Well, before we chat records, um, just want to kind yeah. of ask you how you found uh, the last sort of sort of 18 months now really and i, I guess so I'm, I'm more, more the kind of lockdown and how you found it personally and how it how it affected you creatively well um it affected me creatively in that we were halfway through shooting a show called vigil that we then had to put on hiatus for what we initially thought would be a couple of weeks and of course it turned out to be five months um so that was that was both frustrating, but also comforting knowing that if and when we were coming back, I had work to go back to. I wasn't sort of in a, a precarious, such a precarious position as I know a lot of my other contemporaries being self-employed were. We didn't have the, you know, uh, luxury of being furloughed and so on. So, um, yeah, that was, it was a conflicting time because the weather was so nice as well. Do you remember? It was kind of lovely. Um and it was only really in hindsight that I thought the silver lining to all of this was the amount of time I was afforded with my son, who's just turned five. Um, there would, there's never going to be another time like that. Well, I, I hope not, um, where you're afforded that much sort of quality time together, um, which I sort of grew to appreciate as the time went on. Initially, it was just all frustrating. And all your, I suppose it exposed all your um bad habits or your demons they all come out and face you far more clearly because you've got none of the usual distractions absolutely you know i think for a lot of people the, the a difficult thing to do in their life is to say no about work or certain things in their life and when a government imposes a lockdown and says no you can't go to work you all have to stay at home it inevitably brings up um those kind of issues that you either choose to deal with or 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 not um so i think it was you know for a for lots of people, it was a, 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 a very different and strange experience, some for the better and some maybe for not, uh, you know, le- less good for some people. I didn't enjoy it. Ultimately, I like to be busy and active and I'm quite a social creature. I do come back and recluse and sort of re-energize. I do need that as well, but I didn't need five months of it. Yeah, um, it's nice to do it on your own terms and not be kind of told that, yeah, you've got to do that for however many months yeah i'll totally i'll totally uh re- relate to that mm. um well look let's let's start with the songs and yeah for track one i'm gonna ask you please to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro please 
I mean, your questions are all brilliant, but of course they're sort of almost impossible to answer because that you've got, you know, 20 songs for each question. You can have some honourable but... mentions. You can throw a few no, kind you? of uh, some, some, yeah, almost made it in if you want. Well, um, the one I've chosen is um, Let's Go Crazy by um, Prince. Just because it's such a, it is genuinely a brilliant introduction. There's this sort of little sermon and the electric guitar and uh, and um, keyboards going, and then it sort of erupts into this um, this brilliant song. And it's sort of, I suppose, as with all choices and music, it's evocative of a particular time in one's life. And I think this reminds me very much of sixth form. Um, school and sort of being introduced to girls and alcohol and things like that and um it has those very sort of keen associations but i do think genuinely it's it's a great intro to a to a song yes it's an absolute masterpiece and and it's so weird that whenever i ask this question so many people choose long intros Right, uh, and and we live in a time now where pop music's so short and to the point, no, no, no sort of fat on the bone whatsoever. And yeah, and I do love that when you look back because you, you think now that if a if an artist wrote "Let's Go Crazy" and took it to a record company now and went right, so it's going to start like this, yeah, they'd be like, I don't think so. Like just just drop straight in when the synthesizers kick in and it all goes. It's like right. you don't get that kind of beautiful long intro anymore and it, and it's so weird like i reckon i've done maybe 350 of these podcasts adam and i reckon at least 300 and at least 300 have all been long kind of how interesting like, how it's kind of lulls you into this kind of false sense of security and then bang gives you the payoff like when when the song drops and you know i've had a few people that have gone oh yeah beatles help and like i've just gone straight in but most people have these you know just instantly lean towards i don't know if it's um, we're the same age so i don't know if it's because of our generation we was exposed to more music like that where you know pop music wasn't quite as short and sharp there was you know places you could go with it but yeah it's it's a cracking record was you a, a huge prince fan i was actually yeah and i had the privilege of seeing him play at the o2 whenever that was um God, I don't know how long ago, and managed to get in, wangled my way into one of those little private after sessions. No that way! Did yeah, it was kind of the most extraordinary experience. That there was so much energy and talent. The talent that that man possessed was sort of incomprehensible, but in such a tiny frame as well. Um, yeah, no, I thought, I, I, yeah, I loved, I loved a lot, a lot of his music but i'd be interested to know Stu, if there is a particular track that has resurfaced in that question particularly through all your because presumably you interview all manner of people from musicians to actors to yeah. is there has there been one that has popped up more than most for that particular one with the best intro this you will be the third person to choose let's go crazy really yep um I, I think a lot of people, um, quite a few people have gone for um, Voodoo Child by Hendrix. Oh, right. Um, what was other really popular ones? Um, just trying to think of some of the ones that have been used a lot. Yeah. But, I'd be very interested. Yeah. It, 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 again, it's just different ages of the guests, obviously, have yes, different of kind of sort of reference Influence. points. And, mm. and then again, you know, I, I guess Prince is just going to transcend you know, demographics because it's, he's Prince. Like, yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Oh, um, whole lot of love got chose a lot by Led Zeppelin. 
Oh, interesting. Um, just kind of big riffs, you know, that, that yes. kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Bohemian Rhapsody. I was uh, going to say Bohemian Rhapsody. I was wondering if that was in there. That's yeah. such an iconic piece of yeah. uh, But music. again, all, all of these, like, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody, if you took that to a record label now, and I've got this new song. Well, hang on a minute. There's like three songs but in But why one is here. that? Why Why would they be uh, so against such long intros? Is there just a – they? It, it's – a brevity they need a, a sort of timings for a certain album or a certain amount of songs within an album or i think what's it's the i think it's just the attention span of, of of younger people i watch my really? my, my, my kids are, are 18 and, and 16 and i watch them and they you know they ingest all of their their music and tv and stuff all through their telephone pretty much and it's like mm. thumbs are just rapid and it's like mm, everything's mm, moving mm. so quick you know not got time for youtube they, they'll watch it on tiktok it's quicker and more and it's like and it worries me that art's getting lost there in in that kind of just it's got to be quick and just get that hit and and I mean I guess pop music has always been there if you go back to Motown it's always been them sort of you know two and a half minute three minute perfect pop songs you know hit you with a chorus and just super hooky and sweet but I do worry that you're not going to get a Bohemian Rhapsody or a you know or a, a Bowie or, or something that's got yeah you know more more not depth but like more space to breathe and and yeah you know. it's interesting you're right because it's such a an uh a, a sort of immediate access and sort of um sort of quick hit culture particularly with the younger generation and yet there are artists i mean i know he's not quite a contemporary i guess he must be about 10 years younger but people like childish gambino and i remember that video when that song and that video this is america first came out i thought oh this feels like a, a slightly tectonic shift this feels like a both sort of a hark back to you know, uh, songs with profound and, and uh, uh, striking imagery and message, but also the length of it felt, I mean, I don't know, maybe it is actually a, That's a, great a, example. a standard pop song, but it's a really, uh, that I thought was a terrific, I remember that it felt pretty seismic at the time. Um, and more so than who was the other artist? Was it Beyonce who did that one that was also about race and police? The yeah. video was sort of very. But I remember the Childish Gambino one being so evocative. Uh, it's incredible. And mainly because I think it was meant to be all one shot, wasn't it? It was sort of through that warehouse and all these different. It was extraordinary. So, yeah, I think it's a shame. I think there's a danger of always underestimating your audience. And I think if you give them something that is just good, artistically sound and. Uh, new and inventive people's attention spans will will grow i think Couldn't you know more. talent talent is eternal my friend so you know absolutely absolutely i'm gonna take you back mate to uh for track two to the first yeah. song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you please right well i've put i put two down because they're <laughs> for two very different reasons um my mother, when I was about, God, let me think, I must have been about five, four or five or six, was dating this very flamboyant entrepreneur um, called Alan. And he used to drive around in a sort of almost an electric blue Rolls Royce. And he always had Neil Diamond on, but loud, full volume. And the quality of Neil's voice and that impact of it or the introduction to it at that age which is kind of a formative time six seven i don't know why whenever i hear his voice it just takes me straight back to late 70s that car this sort of very flamboyant and gorgeous generous man and there's something that is so um symbiotic with the warmth of neil's voice the raspiness and uh, 
greatness of his voice uh, that sort of coincided with the generosity and warmth of this man. So I find it always um, very evocative whenever Neil Diamond comes on, but particularly September Morn, which is the one that I chose. Um, and then the other one, which is a more, I suppose, obvious uh, uh, correlation or connection to is Seal's track, Violet, which is also actually a very, very long song. Mm. Um but it sort of coincided with my first ever love, perhaps. I met this very beautiful Italian girl while I was traveling around in Switzerland, of all places. But I used to drive from Bath. I lived in Bath at the time. And I used to drive my crappy old Ford Escort from all the way from Bath down to Lausanne in, 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 uh, in Switzerland, just beyond Geneva. And his album had just come out. Seal's album had just come out. And I don't know, it was that then became the soundtrack to my first um love i thought i thought i was in some sort of indie european movie sort of driving through this amazing <laughs> you know kind of uh, landscape of switzerland and france and the picture and in your head wasn't a ford sealed. escort though was it wasn't quite a ford escort <laughs> but um but the soundtrack was very very vivid and um yeah uh, it always reminds me very very strongly of that you know that time when you're fir- your first you first fall in love and you think, oh god, this is everything and everything's beautiful and everything's wonderful and there's there's no tarnishing to anything. Um, and it's also a very very beautiful song um, that he uh, wrote. I've also I wanted to have the opportunity to ask him what it's actually about yeah. because there's so many different themes in it. But uh, it also has quite a long intro. But um, I never ever tire of listening uh, to it as well, which I always think is a good sign of a for a piece of music. And just to go back to the, the Neil Diamond track, if you had to sort of pinpoint the emotion, what would it have been? Um, with Neil Diamond, the emotion would have been... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well if you have a home but you're not always at home you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I think it's it's a weird one. It's it, it's an overwhelming sense of joy and richness, but tinged with 
sadness or regret. And I don't know if that's what the song is or that's the quality of his voice or that was the environment I was living in at the time. But yeah, it feels very full of life and rich, but sad is what I would, is what I associated it with. So was there always music on at home growing up? Um, yeah, I guess there was. Yeah, certainly in those formative years when Alan was around three, four, five, there was a lot of music. That, that I think that uh, Guilty album with Barbara Streisand, the Bee Gees had yeah. just come out and Saturday Night Fever. And so that kind of music was playing loud. He used to play music loud. He liked it loud. Um, so, yeah, I remember that. And I remember Lovely Day. Bill Withers' Lovely Day. We used to play... Um, in Ibiza, and I always used to think Lovely Day, the, the refrain that goes Lovely Day, Lovely was Germany. So I always used to sing Germany instead. <laughs> <laughs> Germany, Germany, Germany. Um, yeah. So, yes, there was. Uh, there was. And then, of course, I got sent away to boarding school at quite a young age. And then music becomes a very different thing, I, 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 I think. Yeah, it becomes more um, consoling or um, restorative somehow. Okay, well, let's talk school then, because for track three, I'm going to ask you um, to tell me a song, please, that reminds you of your time at school. Well, I've put down rather, yeah, unspecifically, <laughs> I wrote down pretty much anything from now. That's what I call music, volume one to volume three. And I looked them up, actually, yesterday, particularly volume three, I think, was the one that reminds me of when I got sent off to prep school. Um, so there's not a particular track I could uh, highlight, but... I, it would be Nick Kershaw and Duran Duran, The Reflex, and UB40, Red Red Wine, and that whole generation of music, which I guess must have been early 80s, 82, um, 83 maybe? Now that's what I call music. It was the first record I ever bought. And it's, was it and really? It's, uh, uh, it was developed my obsession with, with music and facts around music because I would open up the gatefold sleeve of the vinyl and yeah. see the little pictures of all the bands and stuff on there. That's read, right. Read all the information on the chart placings. And now one has got red, red wine on it. Uh, yeah, there's, I think Duran Duran's on one with please, please tell me now. Um, I think Reflex is on three. Yeah. Uh, but oh, Yeah. That, uh, the, the first one come out in 83 anyway. So I was, it was 83. Yeah. Yes, that makes sense. So those were those were definitely the 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 bands and the soundtracks that we um, that informed that total period of my life. And actually, we were allowed to watch Top of the Pops as well. I remember in the main hall at school, Top of the Pops was allowed to be on. And so I remember vividly li- listening and watching Men at Work and um, getting very confused by Boy George as well. That was such an interesting image for a young seven or eight year old. Like, what's going on there? Is that that's a guy, but he looks like a woman. But the music's great. What? Well, ah, I don't understand what's going on. And also, weirdly, at my school, we had a young uh, boy. Well, he's a contemporary of mine, actually, called Damien Anderson, whose father was John Anderson from the band Yes. Right. And at that time, one of their songs was in the charts. And, I mean, maybe it was at 13 or 12 or 15 or something. I think it was Owner of a Lonely Heart. Yeah. And it was boys being boys and such shit. We used to tease and go, oh, it's only 12 or 13, you know. But actually, it was, you know, it was top 20. Yeah. And it's a really good track. That whole album, I think it's called 90124 or something. Mm. It's a brilliant album. Um but you know what do we what did we know then we were just little shits bullying each other but um yeah so i i remember that i remember watching top of the pops and i remember having the cassette i had the albums at home but the cassettes 
at um at boarding school because we could listen to them on our um walkmans or our little beatboxes that were allowed in our in our studies but yeah now that's what i call music three certainly was was definitely the soundtrack to those to those years it's so crazy when you you, you look at them performances and, and certainly like that first time that boy george was on top of the pops like we, we you can, obviously we've come on so much as a society since then, but I remember the like furore of being like front page on all the newspapers the next day. Like, is it a boy or a girl? And it was yeah. like, this is crazy. It's like, yeah, it, yeah. But it was. It was. I mean, it was a talking point in our playground. It was like, did you see Top of the Pops last night? And right, and right. you just wonder, like, is that kind of sort of movements in music and 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 you know, being able to sort of shock. Cause when you look back and watch the, the, the sex pistols on the famous Bill Grundy interview where, yes. where he, I think he just says like you fucker or something like that. And it was like for all, like this is the most yes. horrific thing ever. Who are these, you know, get them out of the country. It's like, it's not that bad. And like, yeah. and, and you do think like, will, you wonder if, if will that exist anymore? You know, as where do you see? You know, is there another Sex Pistols around the corner? Is there another Boy George? Is there another Bowie? You know, these kind of, you know, yeah, strange characters that just, you know, yes. What have, would it take to shock us nowadays? Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's both. That's where I was going. Of, yeah, a good and a sad thing, isn't it? That actually we're sort of unshockable and weirdly things like Spitting Image um, don't have nearly the same potency anymore because what they're lampooning. They can't be more satirical. I mean, yeah. the reality is too weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, Boris Johnson and Donald Trump, Boris Johnson losing his speech or couldn't work out what his speech was at the CBI recently and then banging on about Peppa Pig World. I mean, <laughs> if you did that as a, as a sketch for Spitting Image, you go, well, no, because the reality is too weird. It, it's all got so crazy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's so weird. So I don't know. Um, and, you know, also with this woke generation that we're living through. Um, yeah, I don't know what will surprise us or shock us in, in those ways. Maybe something far more traditional. I don't know. Um, I mean, clearly we're moving, I think, you know, incrementally in the right direction, definitely in terms of acceptance and, and yeah. all of that. But um, I went to Leeds recently. My daughter directed a play up at um, Leeds and I was staying in a hotel and I just had to, uh, the TV was on in the background and Trading Places was on. And it's around the same time. I think it's mid-80s that Trading mm. Places came out. And the use of the N-word is so liberally used in that film. And then not only that, Dan Aykroyd blacks up. He blacks mm. up as a Rastafarian with Eddie Murphy. And you're like, what, what is going on? And that's, you know, that was 80-whatever, four, five. So it's weird that we seem like we've come a long way and not a long way yeah. in relatively short periods of time. But um, yeah, can you imagine that today? Well, just, just touching on school. Um, how was it as an experience? Did you enjoy school? Oh, um, when I got sent away to prep school, no, that was deeply traumatic. Certainly the first two terms, homesickness. And, and I was an only child essentially then as well. So how old I'd had all the attention. Went away? I, I think I was seven when I got sent away. So, you know, when I look at my son, who's now five, the idea of sending him away in two years to a uh, sort of a, 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 a dingy little prep school down near Brighton. Actually, to be fair, the school was lovely, but it's still, you know, it's a, it's happened to, a, you know, a whole generation of young men. And it's, I think it's deeply traumatic. I'm not sure it's a great thing to do. Um, and there are friends of mine who sort of had it more 
weirdly, there was one guy who got sent away to boarding school and from his dormitory window, he could look out and see his own his own bedroom with uh, uh, his house sort of literally across the road. Oh, so his parents sent bleak. him away to boarding school despite living. A, so, you know, it's, it's a weird, oh, God, it's a weird thing. That's horrible. <laughs> it's quite odd. Um, and, you know, a lot of good can come from it, but I think a lot of damage gets done, uh, you know, uh, directly and indirectly as well. So um, it was a mixed bag. The first two terms were, were miserable and I was desperately homesick. And then you just learn to survive. So you sort of, I kill a part of yourself, unfortunately. I think the part that shows vulnerability or emotional empathy has to just sort of get squashed because there's no room for it in those places. Um, and ultimately, I had a great time in the structure and the routine and all of that. I thrived on and, uh, you know, made some really, really good friends. But, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's ideal. Yeah. <laughs> not sure. Yeah. Did you know what you wanted to be? Well, um, I didn't. Uh no, no, I wouldn't say definitively at prep school, but I do remember doing the school plays and getting a lot of attention and making people laugh. That was the first time um, I remember doing something. I sort of ad-libbed something. We were doing Captain Beaky, I think, or something like that. And I came on as Mr. Fox or I can't remember. I did something that then got a spontaneous reaction. And I remember that vividly thinking, oh, shit, that feels, that feels good. I like that reaction. And, oh, it's live. And, Oh, okay. So that certainly planted the seed of maybe performance and acting at the age of seven or eight, I guess. Um, but no, I don't think I had any definitive ideas what I wanted to do then, but certainly a, a seed was, was sown. Was you confident? Probably, yeah. I think I was. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I think I probably was, but I, I was so doted on by my mother. I was sort of lauded a bit and actually during that time with the, the boyfriend the, the neil diamond fanatic alan he was incredibly wealthy and so we i sort of got anything i wanted so i i did there was a dangerous period where i was sort of terribly spoiled i think uh, i'm probably a bit obnoxious um but yes i think yes i always carried a certain confidence with me i think that i've <laughs> i'm not sure how it's doing today you know life that has a habit of beating the hell uh, that, uh, out of you but um yeah as a young child i think i was pretty i was pretty front-footed first song you bought from a record shop please mate well i think it may have been i've written down i couldn't remember specifically but i have visions of probably going to woolworths or maybe wh smith and buying the singles or even our price maybe and it was probably either men at work uh down under or um, Culture Club, Karma Chameleon, um, those funny little seven inches in a sleeve. And I remember in Woolworths, they used to stack the top, top 10 up and you could choose. And then latterly, they would do 12 inches as well. So I think it was a pretty close run thing between those singles and possibly, and to my shame, admitting this, you don't remember a band called the Baron Knights, do you? Who used to do satirical takes on popular pop songs. I live in, I I live in Essex, Adam, and there's a venue <laughs> called the Circus Tavern, and they right. were residents there, mate. Chicken Seriously. in a basket and the Baron Knights. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I love them. I, I That was my first, I suppose, my first introduction to satire, I guess, or, you know, piss take on that way. Um, 
And yeah, to my shame, I, I think I used to perform them. I used to learn them by rote and then put them in the tape deck. And then my mother would have dinner parties and I'd come down and put the tape on and sort of mime to them and do all these actions. I mean, can you imagine how hideous a poor guest would go, oh, your son too, can <laughs> um, Yeah. But yeah, so it was, it was a combination of the Baron Knights and yeah, and probably Culture Club, one of my first purchases. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Well, I spoke about confidence and, you know, from them early performances at dinner parties and school play. <laughs> Uh, you, you, you've obviously, you know, you know, gone forward and, and, and carved out, a, you know, an impressive career in, you know, a, a famously difficult industry to, you know, to, to, to have mm. a long career in. Uh, mm. So confidence aside, Adam, would you say you're driven? Yeah, I think that might be one of the virtues of being an only child. I don't know the, the few other only children I know around me do have a very distinct sense of purpose and drive. And I don't know what that is because you would think with siblings, maybe you become more competitive. I don't know, but yeah, I've always been pretty single minded, naively so or otherwise. Uh, and, and I don't know whether this was my, the type of attention I got from my mother or that and a combination of prep school, but, Oh, for want of a better word, probably a terrible sense of entitlement. There was always a sense that I should be afforded the things I wanted to do. And I don't know if that's just checking my white privilege now or whether that was the environment in which I grew up. I think it was probably a combination of both. But yeah, there was definitely a sense of whatever I want to do, I, I will be able to do and achieve. And actually, the first time I was sort of really rudely awakened was shortly after leaving drama school, I suppose, or at drama school where you suddenly weren't getting the parts you wanted or you had to audition or I wasn't represented by the agents that I thought I should be or that was the first time when things weren't quite going to plan. And as a control freak, that was um, was a was a really rude awakening. But, how, did you, um, how did you deal with that? Not well. <laughs> 
not well. I think I became even more ambitious and pushy. And the British sensibility doesn't take kindly to that, particularly in our industry, actually. It's all got to be a bit humble pie and slightly doff your cap. And yeah, you may have three Oscars, but actually, am I any good, really? There's all kind of that. And I think had I gone straight to America with the same attitude, it would have been embraced in a different way. It would have been seen as that sort of American go-getting spirit. And yeah, you, I, I do remember going early and doing the um, pilot seasons way back when in the sort of... Um, God, late, uh, when did I leave drums? Well, 95, so mid-90s. So before self-taping, stuff like that, and you'd go to LA and you'd sit out there for three or four months and do all these auditions. And I remember vividly adopting this sort of British sensibility. And they go, oh, well, so you've done a bit of TV and film and theatre. And, and you go, oh, yeah, well, it was okay. And they'd sort of look at you weirdly go, right, so that's not good what you've done. You really needed to be going celebrating yourself going yeah no i can do this and I, I i can do it really well and i think i'd like to do this and this and this and it's a it's a very distinct difference in um temperament and sensibility but i suffered for it in the uk my pushiness did not do me any favors early early doors um and i think i got branded as being a bit too pushy and arrogant and, and difficult um so yeah i i came a bit of a cropper i think early early doors as a result okay so, leaving drama school, uh, you start to go out and about. Track five, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing, please. There's so many, Stu. I didn't even know where <laughs> to start. You can um, rattle a few off, mate. Well, there were things like Give It Up with the Good Men and, um, uh, oh, God, what was it? CNC Factory. What was that? That was such a massive hit. Gonna Make You Work or... Gonna Make You Sweat or whatever. Mm, yeah. yeah. Yeah, all of that kind of stuff. But the track that I put down is um, Quadrophonia. Uh, even now, when I listen to it today, it really gets me going. It's such a great, great dance track. Um, and I was sort of at the gen. My early experience with nightclubs and stuff were places like Crazy Larry's, I'm afraid, uh, just off the New King's Road. Um, and then all oh, these terrible sort of posh old balls that we do. There was a thing called the, oh God, set up by two poshos. What were they called? Gatecrasher balls. Yeah. There was a whole thing called the Gatecrasher balls, um, and it was all this kind of this kind of music. It was less around him. Salt and Pepper was sort of coming out, and um, but in terms of dance, it was yeah for me Quadrophenia. There was a brilliant track called the Magic Roundabout. Yeah, I can't remember who recorded it with the with the sort of loop of the the, the, the children's show. Um, and Yeke Yeke, do you remember that? Yeke Yeke, yeah. all those kind of dance tracks. I absolutely loved and had all the 12 inches for. And, and then I, I pretended to DJ a bit. I mean, I did DJ like friends' parties and things like that. I had my decks and um, I would schlep them around to friends. And um, yeah, and so, yeah, I became sort of within my little circle, a sort of resident DJ and I'd go and, play all these bits of dance, you know, combination of these dance tracks and whatever was in, you know, the top 10, 20 at the time. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I loved being able to influence and move uh, a dance floor. It was so great. Um, Do you think, like, is that enough? Did, did you never sort of feel that kind of urge to then maybe push that a bit more and kind of, you know, pop your head up in a nightclub? Or did you? I kind of... I kind of wish I had. I did once when I was um, living in Switzerland. Um, 
we befriended the guy of the local uh, nightclub in Lausanne and I played a, like a trial set for him and he really liked it. I mean, I wasn't, listen, I really wasn't great. I wasn't doing brilliant mixing. I was literally putting one 12 inch on after another and mixing them quite nicely, but not, no great skills. But that was enough for him. And we, we, I did a couple of nights there and we got, um, I was at like this international school trying to learn French at the time with loads of really rich sort of kids from the Middle East and uh, Greece and do you know what I mean? And so they contacted all their friends and we sort of made a big success of it. It became like a thing on a Thursday night that I did maybe for a couple of months while I was there in Switzerland and loved it, really, really enjoyed it. And of course, this was way before, you know, um, the 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 superstar DJs that we see and hear about now. This must have been 10, 15 years before any of that started rocking up. So there is a romantic nostalgic part of me that thought, God, it would have been nice to pursue that because you can see what the, those guys, their their lives now and what they get paid and where they get to go. And um and also weirdly, my family have an, uh, a history with the island of Ibiza. Since like the mid 40s like my grandfather sailed there before there was even an airport like 46 just after the second world war and he bought quite a large plot of land and over the years this little finger sort of grew into this sort of sprawling estate that we used to go and visit every easter and summer and um and so we watched the you know the 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 growth of the whole clubbing um life and industry out there throughout my young years into my teens and 20s and to now i mean it's just it's like insane compared to what it used to be and weirdly even more weirdly this is quite a nice connection my mother dj'd and when i say dj it was literally put on a record that finishes you put on another record but maybe mid-60s in san antonio in ibiza and there was one nightclub there at the time it was called the playboy nightclub and she's got photographs of that whole period. And it's absolutely amazing. There's one tarmac road that used to link San Antonio to Ibiza and everything else was dust tracks. And she remembers these people getting together and buying an old uh, farm in the middle of nowhere. And they were setting up a new club and it was called Pasha. And Pasha has not moved. The original building has not moved from when they first set it up. And that used to be in the middle of nowhere. And now it's right by, you know, Ibiza Harbour. And it's kind of, that's kind of crazy to think that she was there right at the, you know, genesis, the inception of all those things. But they also, they all thought, well, you're crazy. It's in the middle of the countryside. Nobody's going to be able to find it. What, what, what a weird thing to do. Why would you buy an old farm and set up a nightclub there? And, you know, wow. no, how many years later? But there it is. Isn't that so, crazy? So you could still go back and, visit that intermittently and just seeing the kind of birth of yeah i remember when coup was a big thing it was called the coup club which i think now is maybe privilege or that became certainly the biggest club on the island and maybe it's still arguably one of the biggest clubs in europe i mean it was thousands and thousands of people um so yeah we sort of used to dip in in and out of that intermittently uh, and watch it evolve with both sort of awe and I guess a bit of sadness because it felt like our island it's yeah. not our island oh. we had such a long history that was beginning to get overrun and overpopulated and you know San Antonio evolved from a sleepy little fishing village into this you know hellhole where the Brits used to go and well still do and cause all manner of chaos Absolutely. but um yeah it's still a very magical island if you know where to go and know what to avoid it, you can it's still very very special but we don't have nearly the same connection to it as we once as we once did unfortunately 
Well, from my beef, I'm going to take you home. Uh, yeah. And for track six, I'm going to ask you to tell me uh, a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. I've always loved this artist. Um, I used to listen to her a lot when she first brought out this album with my daughter. When I'd have my daughter at weekends, we used to drive to stay with friends in Somerset and we'd always compile like a, a compilation CD. And Kate Nash was often on it because um, this song, Foundations, that I've chosen was had just come out. And lyrically and her cheek and her skill on the piano and the rawness of it, uh, I always found very appealing. And then I had the privilege of seeing her play live at Jules Holland's Hootenanny. My uh, dear friend David Tennant uh, was being was Doctor Who and so got invited and could bring guests. And we got to go along and uh, record Hootenanny, which, of course, they do uh, in November. Sorry to dispel anybody's <laughs> fears and illusions. But um, she was one of the guests and along with the Kaiser Chiefs, I think, with their C6 Steve, Kylie was there, Paul McCartney. I mean, it was a it was a mega, mega uh, lineup. I think Duffy was there as well. And you know how evocative it is when you see musicians live. Those those moments sort of stay with you in a far more profound way. So the fact that her album had just come out and I'd been listening to it with my daughter. And then we had this amazing evening with her live. It's it's always sort of stayed with me. Um, and I find it curious that she's having a big success as an actor yeah. as well over in, in, in the, in the States with in that the wrestling show and the wrestling show. Yeah. Mm. Um, and whenever I've seen her in interviews or talk shows, she seems like she's sort of out there, which I really, uh, really enjoy. And it, it appeals to me. She's, um, she seems pretty bold, but, um, yeah, that's why I planned for, uh, for Kate Nash it's not an easy choice Stu you know they're so you know I don't even know how you begin to narrow it down but I think you've just got to go with things that you continue to like listening to you know yeah. Um, Kate, yeah. Kate Nash is, is, is a true artist and it's really weird I, I run a nightclub and, uh, uh, and, and, I, and I DJ occasionally nowadays and, right. um, and, and obviously after lockdown it's, it's like kind of a sort of an indie club and uh uh, a bizarrely culture club played their first ever gig in my in my to, to go full circle wow. yeah but yeah, um, yeah. but um, wow. obviously after lockdown there's there's sort of nearly two years and sort of two generations of, of kids that have never been clubbing uh and and so it's been really nice being sort of to, to start to them to come to my club and for me to sort of play records them and and i played foundations uh for the first time in ages just i heard it on something i was like i stuck it on i was like that's such a good pop song and yeah. and I put it on, and what was Foundations? Maybe thirteen years old now, maybe. Is it really worrying? Good grief. Yeah, uh, right. But it is weird how some songs just get into sort of woven into society, and there's all these kind of eighteen-year-old kids dancing, and they know every single word, and you just think it's wow. brilliant when you see these kind of yeah. these songs that are so hooky and catchy, and and there's a brilliant documentary just before she got the job. It's Glow, isn't it? The TV show. <laughs> yes, that's right. Him. That's absolutely right. And uh, and just before that, that she made a documentary about literally sort of because I think she sort of chose to do what she wanted to do and maybe not do where what I imagine the record company was sort of saying. Now you need to do this because you're a mm. pop star. Mm. You know, she she went to you know she wanted to be an artist, and it's a fantastic documentary where she's literally sort of selling bits of like her own merchandise and, and memorabilia to kind of fund 
you know, just to stay somewhere in America where she can right. then record this. And it's just, you just realise that she's just put it all on the line to, to make her next record. And, and, it, and it, sure. it, you know, it was just wonderful to see. And then obviously I think as the documentary finishes, she just gets the audition for this, this show. And then right. and that becomes obviously a, a huge success. And, and I'm sure that, uh, you know, helps sort of bankroll and finance, you know, future recordings. But yeah, I, I think she's, uh, I think she's wonderful. Kate Nash. That's a great choice, mate. I hope she does continue to record as well. I mean, I'm not aware of any new albums recently. She's, she brought anything out yeah, recently? She, she still releases records, yeah. Yeah, quite okay. quite, quite regular. Um, oh, good. Right, so you get to um, yeah, you get to get on the turntables again now and play Tastemaker DJ. So yes. for the last track, uh, a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. This is a great question. It's a really, really great question. And I would love to go back through all your other podcasts and hear particularly this answer because... What a brilliant thing to be introduced to stuff that you might not know. So unfortunately, I think mine may well be known, but um, I've chosen two and they're both um, from um, composers who create music for film and TV and soundtracks. Um, And there's one that maybe more people might know about now because of a success of a show called The White Lotus. But the composer is called Cristobal Tapia de Vere. Um, and I first got turned on to them uh, because they composed the music to a terrific uh, show called Utopia that was on Channel 4 a couple of years ago over here. Um, and the depth and richness of their music and uniqueness of it, um, I found so compelling and arresting to listen to, but particularly this track called Utopia, which has excerpts from... Um, uh, Paul Reddy and Neil Maskell, who are actors in the show, uh, excerpts from the actual interwoven with the soundtrack. And I, it's, I find it really great. And there's something lovely about listening to specifically music made for film and television to listen to in your headphones when you are traveling or um, in a museum. Uh, the, the other track I've chosen is um, the soundtrack from the Three Colors trilogy. It's called the the Twakula, um, and it was red, blue, and white. And there were amazing films with Irene Jacob and Juliette Binoche. And the composer, whose name actually I probably can't pronounce. Do you know how to pronounce it? He's called. I, I, I'll let you have a go here, and I'll, uh, I'll save me own embarrassment. The big new prisoner, and I'm not even sure what nationality he is. Maybe that's Czech or. I don't know. But the, that music is also, it's predominantly classical, but it's absolutely. Um, Stunning. And I remember walking around the V&A listening to this sort of orchestral um, and then often quiet pieces. He does some beautiful pieces with a flute and with an organ. And it's so evocative. You suddenly think you're walking around your own movie. Um, I, I, I love that. I love m- music that is instrumental effectively, but it's still very, very evocative. And you sort of create your own dramas or stories with it. But those are two of my favourite sort of composers for for that type of music, and I urge everybody to um, to listen to them. Uh, and if you've not seen the White Lotus, which is currently on, I think it's on Sky Atlantic. It is a genius show, and uh, this composer Cristobal uh, Tapia de Vere does the music for it, and it's almost another character within the um, within the drama. That's how evocative and intrusive some might argue it, uh, the music is, but. Um, it's great. It's really, really good. It's so quirky. So I, yeah, I'd urge people to check, check.
check both of those people out. Wonderful. Well, we make it nice and easy for people to do that, Adam, because we put um, a Spotify playlist together to accompany the podcast, so people can oh, go and brilliant. listen to all of the records that we've, what a we've great idea. spoken about. So, yeah, sure. yeah. So it's nice and easy for people to do that. Um, as we sort of find ourselves coming to the end of a year, and and hopefully, hopefully, it'll be a far more connected and uh, and, and and happier Christmas than than than, than the last one. Um, we, you know, as, as we sort of then looking into the new year, like what what are you looking forward to from the coming months personally and what's coming up professionally? Personally, um, I'm looking for, if I'm really honest, I've been very lucky this year. I've been very, very busy. So actually a little bit of downtime, not too much, <laughs> just a little bit of proper downtime with my family and friends, which we're planning on doing over uh, Christmas and the new year. I'm really, really looking forward to properly downing tools um, and seeing friends that I've not managed to see and sort of connect again. It's been such a weird, disparate and in many ways a divisive year. And uh, I'd love to try and rectify all of that or, or certainly not have that um, feeling uh, abound. Um, and then professionally, um, uh, there's I'm just about to finish filming. I've got about two more weeks on this new thriller called The Suspect for ITV, and it's being made by the same team who did um, Vigil. So we're hoping it will have maybe the same sort of uh, reach and success that uh, Vigil did. But I don't think that'll be out till possibly next autumn. Um, I have a new period drama coming out called Hotel Portofino that I'm actually going to be able to go and see the screening. I think they're screening the first two episodes tomorrow night at the Electric Cinema. So it'll be very interesting to see how that's all come together. We shot that over the summer in Croatia, which was um, a lovely sort of busman's holiday. Um, and I've no doubt it'll be very, very beautiful. It's set in it's it's set in the mid twenties on the Italian Riviera in, in Portofino. It's sort of like how best to describe it. Um, it's a bit like the Durrells meets Downton Abbey. It's sort of nice. period Brits abroad uh, and a bit of upstairs, downstairs action. And there's sort of, you know, trials and tribulations, love and loss. And, you know, the rise of fascism in Italy uh, uh, plays uh, quite a prominent part in it as well. And the trauma of the First World War. And so I, it's kind of got everything, but I'll be interested to see how it's all been stitched together. Um, and then I'm hoping maybe the next spring to be working with the comedian Greg uh, Davis. We shot a pilot together, crumbs, end of 20. Um, and then everything got put on hiatus and pushed because of COVID and so on. So we're hoping um, we can get uh, together. Uh, everybody shows we can get together to complete, well, shoot. Uh, uh, Sky commissioned it for two series. So, um, it would be great to be able to shoot that together in the spring. He's genuinely one of the funniest and nicest men. You know when you see people from a distance, a bit like Don't Meet Your Heroes, but he so didn't fail to disappoint. Such a generous, funny, cheeky, wicked soul. And he's about 27 feet tall. He, I've never met such a, an enormous man, um, but enormous in every way. He's a, he's a great, great human being. So, yeah, I'm hoping we get to get to shoot that first series uh, sometime next spring wonderful adam it's been a real delight talking records with you mate thank you so much thanks for having me Stu. thanks for reaching out this has been a real real pleasure and it's such a a great thing to be able to delve into the past and have all those things evoke all those memories again so thank you for affording me the opportunity to do it absolute pleasure thank you mate all right buddy 
There you go. Adam James sharing my love of Now That's What I Call Music 1. Love that. Um, what an absolutely top bloke. Um, really lovely chat. Um, yeah, it just it's really nice when you, you know, you, you, I've had a few guests that have, have spoken about, you know, boarding school and, and, and stuff like that. And it does kind of give a, a sort of different perspective to that kind of school life that, you know, that I guess I, I was exposed to and lots of other guests were. It's, it's nice when you get a kind of, you know, a change in upbringing and a, uh, a, a, and schooling. So to get a sort of different sort of perspective on that. Um, just a lovely chat. Um, really, really enjoyed that. Um, yeah. So if that was your first time listening, um, go check out the back catalogue because there's bundles of episodes um, with all your favourite actors, comedians, musicians, DJs, producers, just loads of lovely creatives, basically. And, uh, and they're all there to be enjoyed for free. And uh, so go get it wherever you get your podcasts or just head to the website off the beat and track podcast.com. I'm done. Thanks once more to Adam. Uh, thanks once more to you lot for listening and I'll see you next time. See you soon. Bye bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network. Keep me stew with him. Eat a